So we're in Romans chapter 10, and I'm glad you're here. My name is R. Dallas Green. What's in a name? I want to speak about the name that's above every other name. Each of you here this morning has a name. Everyone possesses a name, a name given to you by your parents. Some of you are better known by your nicknames. Here today is my oldest son, Chris, Christopher, Christopher James. Chris, he's a, he's a great person. He is an emergency room doctor, led the COVID response in Birmingham, does global health, and he's with his wife, Rachel. Rachel is, uh, her name means lamb, and uh, Chris's name means Chris Christ bearer, and they have three beautiful children, uh, Judah. Judah is, um, it's from Hebrew, it means praise to God, and uh, we give praise to God for Judah because he's so artistic and so fast. Um, he ran a race recently a mile race where he smiled the whole race and won by half lap. And then there's Rowan. Rowan uh, is a Celtic name, meaning the, it's a tree that grows in Ireland in the high places and bears a beautiful red fruit. And Rowan's life is bearing such beautiful fruit. And the youngest of their children is named John Robin. Now, John Robin was named after his two grandfathers. John, Rachel's dad, went to be with the Lord two years ago. And Robin, which is my real name, I've been R since I was 10 years old. See, there were four Robins in my third grade class, and my teacher called me R, so I became R. But John Robin is better known by his name, Budge, or Budgie. <laughs> now, you might really like your name. Um, then again, you might not like your name. You may have an abbreviated name, or an initial name, or even a nickname, but when I hear some names, I wonder, how did they come up with that? I think maybe the parents were on some mind-altering drugs, <laughs> because that's a weird name. <clears throat> we're told there's a name of great significance. The name of Jesus stands out above every other name. There are people whose names are written in history, but there is a name above them all. It's a name above every other name. There's names of the greatest orators that ever lived, Demosthenes, Plato, Aristotle. There's a name above their names, because you want to write above their names someone whose name is greater. When he speaks, the winds stop blowing, and the waves obey his voice. Jesus is the name that is above every other name. Salvation is in his name. For there's no other name to be saved than by the name of Jesus. When his mother was, was espoused to be married to Joseph, Mary and Joseph did not give him his name. His name was given by not his earthly father, but by his heavenly father. You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you know that name? There's power in that name. There's salvation in that name. There's deliverance in that name. There's hope and healing in the name of Jesus. There's joy everlasting. There's peace and happiness. Everything a believer needs is in the name of Jesus. It's a life-giving name. It's a sin-killing name. This week, two major leaders in the world met, Vladimir Putin and Joseph Biden, the leaders of Russia and the United States. And that was a big meeting. But I want to say that every president 
king, queen, governor, potentate, emperor, here and now, will someday confess that Jesus is Lord. It says that, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that though he existed in the very form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he humbled himself. And he took on the nat nature of a servant and the appearance of a man. And he became obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. Wherefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's been some great names, men like Louise Palau, Billy Graham, R.C. Sproul. They live lives that we deeply respect. They made a contribution. They preached the gospel with conviction. They were not ashamed of the gospel. They weren't ashamed of Jesus. They knew this gospel needed to be preached. Now they're in his presence. Their faith has become sight. But the gospel they proclaim, we continue to say. You see, when you say the name Jesus, there's just something about that name. If your back is against the wall and you called on the name of Jesus and he came to your rescue, whenever you hear the name Jesus called, your testimony is, I know him for myself. If you've been down to your last dime and he stepped into your life just in time, you know he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think or even imagine. If you were lost and on your way to hell and he turned your life around at the mention of Jesus' name, you can't hold your peace. It's a stainless name. You know, there's no sin associated with the name of Jesus. There's no blemish, no tarnish, no rust. I mean, if I were to call out names to you, there'd be some infamous names. You'd know these names. Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, Napoleon Barnaparte, and then there were famous people's names, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. But this is a name that's above every other name. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with this Jesus? Do you know how great he is? Do you know how wonderful he is? That on a Friday, on a skull-shaped hill, on a blood-stained cross, Jesus, the name that's above every other name, died for your sins? It's a beautiful name. He came to a wedding feast at Canaan of Galilee. You know the story. His disciples were invited. He was invited. His mother was invited. His mother was there. <laughs> Maybe they underestimated how much drink, how much wine the disciples would drink, and they ran out of wine. And the mother came to Jesus and said, they have no more wine. Now, I can imagine Jesus at a wedding feast you know, dancing and laughing and telling stories and giving piggyback rides to the kids. But they run out of wine, and wine was symbolic of joy. And so Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And somewhere between the dipping and the sipping, Jesus turned ordinary water and ordinary water pots into wine because there's just something about that name the name of Jesus. When you call upon that name, something happens. And then there was 
a time when Jesus took his disciples up on a mountain out in the wilderness. And a large crowd followed him because there were many, many healings. And he said, what are we going to feed the people to eat? All the bakeries were closed. There was no Panera Bread out there. No grocery store, no Weiss to go to, no Aldi's, no Wegmans. No place to get bread for this large crowd. But one of the disciples, his name was Andrew. He said, I found a boy with five loaves and two fish. But what is that with so many people to feed? And Jesus said, bring it to me. And when they put the bread into his hand, he lifted it up to his father. And he brought it down and he multiplied it. He fed a crowd of 5,000 that day. Not counting the women and children because there's just something about that name. And there was a storm on the sea. And the disciples woke Jesus up. Now, I love the story because it speaks to Jesus' humanity. Jesus was asleep in this boat, at the rear of the boat, lying on a cushion. And they woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we perish? And he awoke and he said, Peace, be still. And there was a great calm upon the waters because there's something about that name. There's something about the name of Jesus. You see, there's power and authority in the name of Jesus. And there was a woman with an issue of blood. She was, she was in the crowd, and Jesus was walking to Jairus' house. And the woman had the good sense to grab his clothes. And Jesus stopped and said, somebody just touched me. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Master, with all these people around, someone was sure to bump into you. He said, no, someone touched me because I felt power go out from me. There you see the divinity of Christ, the power of, to heal went out and his humanity. And when, when he stopped, the blood stopped. And he said to the woman, let's get your theology straight. There's no healing in a garment. The garment was on the healer. Your faith has made you well. You see, there's something about his name. There's power and healing in the name of Jesus. There was Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus had been at the synagogue that day on Saturday. And he went back to Peter's house. And his mother-in-law had a fever. She was very sick at the very brink of death. And Jesus learned of this, and he laid hands upon her, and he healed her. You see, there's power in the name of Jesus. And there was this widow, and she lived in the, of the town of Nain. And she had one son, and her son died. And there was a funeral procession going out of her city. There was Jesus and his disciples coming to the city, and she was coming with her dead son out of the city. And Jesus laid his hand upon the funeral bier, and he said to the woman, don't cry. And he said to the young man, he said, young man, I say to you, arise. <laughs> you see, there's power in the name of Jesus over death and over disease. He's able to still storms. So when Paul brings this message to us, he wants us to understand some of these names of Jesus, of who he is. I was just thinking about the alphabet and the names of Jesus. That A, he is the ancient of days. 
He is the almighty God. B, he is the brightness of the Father's glory. C, he is the chief cornerstone. D, he is the dayspring of Israel, the desire of all nations. E, he is the everlasting Father. F, he is the faithful witness. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. G, he is the gift of God, the giver of eternal life. H, he is our hope. He is our high priest. I, he is immortal, invisible. He is the great I am. J, he is the judge. K, K, he is the king of kings. L, he is the lamb of God, the lawgiver, and the living stone. M, he is the Messiah, and the messenger, and our master. N, he is the noble Nazarene. And O, he is the offspring of David, omnipotent and omnipresent. P, he is the prince of peace, and the poton potonate, <laughs> to say. R, he is the rose of Sharon, the resurrection and life. S, he is the seed of the woman. He is the sinless sacrifice. T, he is the tabernacle, the tree of life. I couldn't do well with the last letters, but I'll say this to you. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know him by name? Have you ever called on him for your salvation? Well, let's open up the scripture now to Romans chapter 10. And see what this would say to us this morning. It says in Romans chapter 10 in verse number 8, where we left off last week. This word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. This was the word of Moses to the people, the last word he would speak to them concerning the law. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess, if you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is the Lord... And you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. He's talking here about a proclamation of the gospel. He's talking here about an inward possession and an outward confession. You see, there's an inward work of God where I do believe that he did come. He was incarnate. He did live a sinless life. He did go to a cross. He did, was buried in a grave. And he was raised up from the dead. The earliest confession of the church, when a person was baptized, they would say, Jesus is Lord. When Christians met each other on the street, they would say, Jesus is Lord. It became the signature statement of the early church. You see, the Roman Empire was built upon the foundation of countless gods. It began with Greek gods and bled over to the Roman mythology. Apollo was considered the god of the sun. And Bacchus was considered the god of wine. And Cupid was considered the god of love. And Diana was considered the god of hunting. And Flora was considered the god of flowers. What was happening was, as the proclamation was being made, it was confronting the polytheism of the day. They believed in many, many gods in the Greek pantheon. And all the people were required, being Romans, to testify that Caesar is Lord. And now the Christian confession was, based on the evidence that we have of who he is, that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when someone makes that confession, I believe that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord and my Lord. And I believe that he has been raised up from the dead. The Bible declares in verse 10, 
that with the mouth we make this confession. With the mouth we make the confession and are saved. And with the heart we believe and are justified. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in Jesus will never be disappointed. Anyone who believes in Jesus will never be disillusioned. You see, in my lifetime, I've met many people who are disappointed and disillusioned and depressed by life. But their disillusionment does not have to do with Jesus. It has to do with what's happened in their life. I've never actually met someone who's been disappointed they put their faith in Jesus. Most people say, I wish I had done it earlier. I wish earlier in my life I'd come to Jesus. I wish someone had shared with me the good news earlier than I actually heard it. Then it says in verse 12, if you're, if you're following with me, it says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. Now Paul brings up the issue of calling on the Lord. You see, the Jews had the great advantages. They were given the law, and they were put into covenant. They were the chosen people of God. They were the people that had the patriarchs. Even the Messiah himself would come out of Israel. And so you would think that the Jews would turn to Christ. They would believe in Christ when the message was proclaimed. But in every city into which Paul went, he found opposition, hostility. The Jews actually many times would run him out of town. They weren't really interested in this about Jesus. You see, for them, they believed that Jesus, the Messiah, when he came, he would surely conquer over the Romans, and he would establish his kingdom on earth. And so the Jews were not looking for a Messiah who would give his life. They were looking for one who would conquer over the nations. And then there were the Gentiles. Whereas the Jews had the law, the Gentiles were basically lawless. They basically were immoral and idolatrous. And just as there were idols in their day, there's idols in our day. There's idols of technology and idols of politics and idols of money. And there's idols of sport. There's all these different idols that have crept into our life that have taken a greater importance than God himself. You see, an idol is a good thing that becomes a God thing, and that's a bad thing. And so Paul is saying to the Gentiles, whenever he preached to them, that you need to turn away from your idols. You need to turn to Jesus. Because when you serve your idol, you're a slave to your idol. But Jesus sets you free. You see, there's freedom in Jesus. So the message he was proclaiming to the Gentiles and to the Jews was they needed to have salvation in the person of Jesus. And look at verse 13. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, what I've discovered about people, why they need to call upon the Lord is, everyone needs to know Jesus. Everyone in this room needs a relationship with Jesus. Whether you're young or you're old, whether you're poor or you're rich, I know every person here has a need for Jesus because all of humanity is empty. 
All of humanity is crying out for something. They don't know what it is, but Pascal said, there's a God-shaped vacuum inside every soul that only God can fill. There's an emptiness inside of us that can only be filled with the person of Jesus. Keith Urban, you may know him, a country singer, he went through, not long ago, alcohol rehab. And he said when he came out of rehab, playing to large crowds, filling up stadiums, will never fill the emptiness of my soul. You see, there's an effort of us to fill up that emptiness with something. And the things we try to fill up that emptiness with can never satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Jesus was having a conversation with a woman, and she had an, a water pot. And that water pot was a metaphor for her life, which was empty. She was thinking that some man would fill up the emptiness in her soul. And Jesus said to her, if you, you know, go call your husband. And she said, you know, I've had five husbands, and the man I'm living with isn't my husband. Even he was not filling up the emptiness in her soul. And all people are lonely. The Beatles sang about all the lonely people. Where do they all come from? You could feel it in this time of COVID, the loneliness. In a crowded room, you can feel the loneliness. The lead singer of a band left a note behind when he took his life saying, I am a lonely soul. And everyone feels guilt. One administrator of a mental hospital said, I would release half of my patients if I could find a way to get rid of their guilt. Why do we feel so guilty? It's because God has given us laws and we have broken those laws, you see. And the result of that is we feel guilt. Angelina Jolie said, I don't believe in guilt. I believe on living on impulse. As long as I don't intentionally hurt somebody or judge somebody for the choices they make, we should all be free from restraints. What do you think about what she said? What's it like to live on impulse, just to do whatever you feel like doing? You see, all people experience emptiness, and all people experience loneliness, and all people experience guilt, and everyone is afraid to die, aren't we? There are no exceptions to people concerning their fears concerning death. Deep down, we're all afraid to die. The Bible teaches us that there's a slavery to the fear of death. Steve Jobs, before he died, said, life is short and we'll all die. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. So <laughs> what is the answer to emptiness? And what is the answer to loneliness? And what is the answer to guilt? And what is the answer to the fear of death? You have it here in Romans 10, 13. That anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Salvation is in his name. Jesus Christ is the Savior, and you have to call on his name. You can't be just born into Christianity. You have to be born again. There has to be a decision of your will 
to having heard this message, being persuaded in your heart of committing your life to this person of Jesus. So now let me ask these questions that Paul asks. How can they call on him, on the one they have not believed in? How is it possible for someone to call on the name of Jesus who has never believed in him? And you say, you cannot do that, right? Calling is synonymous with saving faith. In order to call on the name of the Lord, you must know who he is, what his name is. You must know why he came into the world to save you. You see, we're not saved in a vacuum. We're saved when we hear a message. How can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard? You know, there's many people in this world who've never heard what you're hearing. We call them the unreached people groups. In the 1040 window, now there's about 7,000 unreached people groups. I'm sure in Kyrgyzstan, where Eric is, there's people who have never heard in their entire life the message of the gospel. There isn't a Christian in their community. There isn't a church they can go to. There's not a radio program they listen to. They are an unreached people group. Why would William Carey, a couple hundred years ago, get on a boat and sail to India to preach the gospel? Why would Adoniram Judson, a couple hundred years ago, get on a boat and go to Burma? Why would Hudson Taylor get on a boat and go to um, China? The reason is there are people in those lands who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they had a burden in their soul for people who had never heard. And so he goes on to say, and how can they hear unless someone is preaching to them? Now, I love that verse because... What I do is I preach to people. But you know, it's not limited only to me. You also are in places I am not. And you are with people I am not. And there are lost people in your world. There are lost people that you work with. And there's lost people in your family. And there's lost people on your street. There's lost people everywhere. And we must win the loss at any cost. We must take the gospel that we have received, that we have believed, that we have called upon the Lord, and take it to the gospel to those who've never heard before. You see, this is our responsibility as Christians. Who is to take the gospel? We are. And where are we to take the gospel? Wherever. And when are we to take the gospel? Whenever. You see, we are the ambassadors. You see, God has plan A, which includes you, and there is no plan B. You get to be part of what God is doing in this world. And so he says, continuing, he says, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? You see, Jesus himself was sent from heaven, and he brought the gospel and those who heard the gospel believed. And those who believed were saved. And the thief on the cross heard the gospel. And he 
turned to Christ and said, remember me. In that 11th hour of his life, he believed and he became a Christian. And then he asked this question. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? He's going back to Isaiah. And Isaiah, back in chapter 52, said, How beautiful in the mountain are the feet of those who bring the good news, announcing salvation, announcing peace. There was an evangelist, and the evangelist was in this country, and he was being ridiculed by those who were listening to him. And they talked about his hair, and they talked about his teeth, and they talked about the scars on his face. And they said, I don't have beautiful hair because most of my hair is gone. And I don't have beautiful teeth because my teeth, well, some of them are missing. And I don't have a beautiful face because I have scars on my face. But he bared his feet and he said, but I have beautiful feet because I bring to you the gospel. When you carry the gospel with the feet that God has given you, you have beautiful feet. I'm not talking about a pedicure. I'm talking about the one who carries the gospel to someone who hasn't heard. You come to their house, to their business with good news because your feet are beautiful. And then he says, but not all of Israelites accepted the good news for the, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Not everybody to whom you make this proclamation is going to believe. There will be some, some in whom God is working. So let's say you go to a place where no one has heard the gospel. You're going to walk that land and you're going to pray that God is going to give you divine appointments. You're going to pray for a person of peace in whom God is stirring something inside of them. You're going to gather that in that town a discovery group of people that want to hear more about Jesus. You're going to begin to read the scriptures to them, tell some of the stories I just told, and you're going to ask them, what does this say about God, what God is like? What is man like? And what is God asking us to do? And what does, who does God want us to tell this to? And you see, this is how Christianity spreads. It spreads as God's people awaken from their long nap and they realize they've been put on this earth for a purpose. And the purpose is not only to receive the good news, but also to share the good news. For verse 17, I'll close with this. It says these words. But faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Somewhere you heard this beautiful message. Maybe some of you are hearing it for the first time this morning, that God loves you, that God is crazy about you, that if God had a refrigerator, he would put your picture on it. If God had a cell phone, you'd be right there in the photo album. God has this crazy love for you. His love was strong enough to come all the way down from heaven to incarnate, to enter our world. He walked upon our earth. But the most amazing thing about it is that Jesus Christ was willing to go to a cross for you and die for you. That is an amazing love. 
So God demonstrated his love for you in this, that when you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You see, you can't be saved unless you know you're a sinner. But if you are, if you know you're a sinner, you know you can be saved because Christ died for sinners. So I am a sinner, and I am somebody whom Christ died for. I was on the path to destruction. I was steeped in sin. I was living in this world. I was deaf to the voice of God. And God spoke to me. I was with, an event, I was with Debbie, and this evangelist said, the Lord has spoken unto me that one of you is going to be saved. And if he said one time, he said it 75 times, the Lord has spoken unto me that one of you is going to be saved. And I leaned over to Debbie and I said, why is he saying the Lord has spoken unto me? He should be saying the Lord has spoken unto me that one of you is going to be saved. And then I said to her, what does it mean to be saved? And she explained to me what salvation is. And that very night, I was saved. Are you saved? Maybe the most offensive question in American culture is, are you saved? It's like, I don't want you pushing something down my throat, right? I remember, <laughs> I remember, you know, coming to church and people saying, are you saved? And you're like, yeah, I'm saved. Like, but are you saved? Have you believed the message I've been telling you? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you committed your life to him? And if you have, are you actively praying about people that are lost in your world for an opportunity to share the beautiful gospel with them that you can bring them in? Because faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. God is raising you up to be a witness. God wants to use you in your world to share this beautiful message. Pray with me. Father in heaven, the gospel will never lose its power. The gospel will always have the ability to proclaim to us the bad news that we indeed are sinners and the good news that Jesus died for sinners. He died for me. He died for each person in this room. He died for all of humanity. That we would no longer um, be afraid of death. That at death we would be um, translated into his presence. That in this life we would experience things like peace and joy, forgiveness. We would have the Holy Spirit to empower us. But many of us find ourselves in this decision point of whether we really do want to be saved. The world has its allurements. Sin has its gripping power over us. But we sense, Lord, as we've spoken about the emptiness in our soul, the loneliness, the guilt, the fear of death. And we know, God, that you gave us a solution, the person of Jesus. So I'm just wondering out loud if there's anybody here with our eyes closed, we just lift up their hand and say, you know, I really want to believe in Jesus. I want to put my faith in Jesus. If that's true for you, just raise up your hand. Yeah, good. Why, several of you. That's wonderful. So, God, as we're praying, I just ask all of God's people to pray with me now. 
there's several here who just want to um, secure this relationship with you, Lord. They want to know you. They want to experience everything you have for them. So I say, I say these words. Would you just say them in your own words to God? Dear God, you have been so good to me. You have loved me. And you, I admit, Lord, that I have failed, that I have sinned against you. And I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins. I'm trusting him alone for my salvation. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And I'm asking, Lord, to become your child and begin this journey with you. Thank you, God, for loving me like this and um, offering me this beautiful gift. And I receive it now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. That was a real beautiful proclamation of truth. That the Lord is our salvation. He is our hope. He is our peace. He's our joy. He's our savior, our deliverer. David, who um, has been making hot dogs all weekend, he wrote these words. As we celebrate Father's Day, we're reminded of both the roles in our lives of our Heavenly Father and our earthly fathers, and how our Heavenly Father provides for us. Our earthly fathers, he says, are human. They will make mistakes and sometimes hurt us, but our Heavenly Father is our creator and without fault. He is our provider and protector with endless love. Our earthly fathers have a wonderful Abba who set the example of love, compassion, strength, and unity. Today we celebrate the godly man who works hard to live in love like that Abba Father. As our Heavenly Father provides, we join in celebrating fathers by inviting you all to the table. Matthew 7, 9 says, which of you, if your son asks for bread or for a hot dog, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We believe that you fathers and men are good gifts of God. We thank God. We want you to feel loved and valued, appreciated, not on this day, but always, that you guys are awesome. We really do thank you for the example you provide for us and how you're just there through the hard times of our life. And I want to pray over Eric as we dismiss. Can we do that? Father, thank you for sending Eric to Kyrgyzstan. It's a poor and a persecuted country. There's Christians have fled the land. He's trying to establish a beachhead with a Kyrgyz-speaking church and a Russian-speaking church. It's a difficult work, Lord. But you, God, have empowered him with this message, and you have sent him. And there will be those there that will hear and believe, and they have. And then those that believe will call upon your name, and they'll be numbered among the Christians. And they may face hardships there, Lord. So we pray for perseverance and patience for each one of them, for unity in the church. We pray, Lord, for blessing upon his work, raising up leaders. God, would you give him encouragement in his time away and perspective? Would you help him, Lord, to be the church to the church in America, a catalyst? That we would be reminded, Lord, of this precious gospel you entrusted to us. Use Eric, Lord. Provide for his needs, Lord. Watch over his family. Give him safety, Lord, as he does this great work, we ask in Jesus' name.